Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to another Pretender to Contender. How are you? This is Joe. Joe Matteris. You're listening to my podcast. Today, we got a great guest on the show, Kevin Dombrowski. Kevin Dombrowski, you might have heard me on his podcast probably about a month, maybe a month and a half ago. Really funny comic. Worked with him bunches of times on the road and uh, just an all around good guy that I think we have good chemistry together. I don't know if he thinks it. I think it for some reason when I'm on radio or podcasts with him or even just hanging. He's an easy hang. We get along. He's a good guy. And we're going to be talking about uh, some stand up comedy. We're talking about uh, being dads, being husbands, what it takes, all that domestic stuff. As I know, he has a one-year-old son. He's a happily married guy. And uh, we talk a lot about that stuff. I just did the interview. So uh, doing this after, but it's a really good interview. A little on the long side, but it's good. I think you'll enjoy it, and I think you'll get something from it. And we also took some callers at the end. Some of my regulars called in with some great questions. And uh, what else? What else? That's really it for the top of this podcast. Go see me live. I will be at the uh, Stress Factory on November 26th, the day after Thanksgiving. It's a Friday, two shows. Then on the 30th of December, I'll be doing a Home for the Holidays show at Soul Joel's out there in uh, Peterstown or Petersville, New Jersey. It's all on JoeMatterEast.com. Just go to my website and you can uh, buy tickets to come and see me live. I'm going to be in Long Island in January. The gigs are starting to come in. I got some theaters. I got some clubs. They're all on JoeMatterEast.com. Check them out. All right. I want to get to the interview fast. We'll be right back with my interview with funny, funny man, Kevin Dombrowski. See you in a sec. You know, thanks, thanks for doing the podcast, and I, I was fun doing your podcast. And I didn't really, uh, I usually, you know, have subjects, and I did that this week because I figured you were somebody that will be really good with talking to me about uh, fatherhood, mm. uh, marriage, um, and then also uh, dice in a little bit of stand-up comedy. It's going to sure. come up. And sure. uh, and I and I I send it out on social media and see uh, which listeners respond. And I have some of them who uh, called and left voicemails, and they'll have some questions for us. Nice. But uh, I, but one thing I left off where we can start. I was thinking this. Uh, we have good chemistry. I when I when I did your show, and I don't know if you just think you have good chemistry with everybody. <laughs> I've got almost no chemistry with anyone, including my wife. So I felt it, Joe. It was you and me. <laughs> is is now? How long have you been doing your podcast? Uh, December will be two years that I've been doing it. It was it was biweekly until the lockdown and the pandemic, and then it turned to weekly. And do you have guests on every week, or do you sometimes go no guest? No, we go guest every week. Uh, I am at 95 episodes this week, and I believe I've had Gino Visconti on one, two, three times. Uh, he'll be on for the, the two-year anniversary. 
And then uh, that's good to know because I've had him on mine, and he was he was a good guest, so it's good to know that he doesn't mind coming on podcasts multiple times. Totally. Well, look, Gino's Gino and I have a a very long history together. Uh, He's probably my oldest friend in comedy, which is crazy. You know, it's so interesting when you meet people when you're young. The chances that you'll both be good stand-ups and in the business like all these years later, I feel like is so slim. That it was so, uh, it was like kind of lightning in a bottle meeting him. I was working at a pizzeria and they uh, they knew that I was doing stand-up and they used to run these shows with, um, God, it was like one of those like old Jersey, like Pickle Man or like whatever one of those fucking weird promoters were. Is he still around, by the way? I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> I've, heard he, I've heard he lives in a cave just pickling things now. Uh, but he doesn't do anything connected to comedy anymore, does he? From the stories I heard, he never did. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's still doing. Oh, he did. I mean, he booked. He was sure. Of, sure. It was like if you thought you've done shitty gigs before, <laughs> like there was. A, it was at another level. Like it was like you would just hear people go, "Oh, it was a pickle man gig," and <laughs> and you knew that there was a chance you were performing in front of a guy who was literally making sandwiches behind you at a deli counter. <laughs> like I'm not exaggerating. That guy would book shit anywhere and yeah and and they were just like 50 dollar gigs but uh you're younger than me i mean that was a time where i mean every night of the week there was a 50 or 60 dollar gig which sounds terrible but actually when you look back now you go man it wasn't terrible because you were just a fucking beast on stage because you were Mm -hmm. doing so much stand-up and not even doing it for free to get up you were getting 60 bucks that you know and they were all like under an hour away you weren't driving to allentown really sure sure well these those gigs now would be trendy like if you were performing in front of like a deli slicer in brooklyn you'd probably you know you'd land like a comedy central digital eight minute special do you know what i mean like those are those are like what what people look for now it's like a laundromat or like a bodega it was like the places the places that you could only perform when you were starting back in the day are now like the trendiest places to perform it's so weird how it goes in that circle like that yeah well i mean i wonder i've i've wondered this because i'm trying to think how many places i've lived s- since i started stand-up comedy and i'll, I'll run through mine and i want to ask you yeah. yours where where did you live when you started and then tell me the places you've lived and tried to be a comedian oh man when i started stand-up I was living in Verona, New Jersey, in uh, my friend's office. Okay. I had worked in music for a very long time. And by very long time, I mean two years. But it was the most serious corporate job I've ever had. So to me, it was like a fucking lifetime. What did you, do in, mu- what did you do in music? I was interviewing live bands oh, okay. and, uh, so you have- and hosting shows. Okay. So maybe that's the reason why we have chemistry. I mean, to, to, back, to backtrack. To backtrack. <laughs> I'm curious. Do you ever? Because I'm weird. I like to like. I'm like an inner thinker. I think that's yeah, my... yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, Joe. Is like maybe we just like each other. That's good. But but, <laughs> I, my, but, but my question is, because I don't, because I'm this inner thinker, and then people, what, what that translates into, Joe, shut the fuck up. You talk. You you think too much. I get that a lot. You right. think too much. I sit there and wonder. I'm like, why do I not have chemistry with? all of these other comedians. And then there's a sprinkle few where I do have chemistry and I, I always try to figure out what is it 
that makes me easy to be on a podcast with this guy versus this guy i'm i, I do you, have you ever like tried to think or are you just pretty comfortable with anybody anybody you bring in as a guest um and that could be thing. music too not sure just sure sure well look here's the thing i i'm a radio guy i like radio i worked for clear channel when i was in high school and i got fired because i was a i was a fill-in producer for the z100 morning show for mm -hmm. um a radio station called max 106.3 and it it broadcasted out of uh, out of Newton, New Jersey, and then into Blairstown, uh, PA. So it was like the first syndicated show uh, that the morning show did. And I was 18 years old, and I was taking my SATs that week, and I overslept. And I woke up at, at 6 in the morning, and the show starts at 6 in the morning, and I lived an hour away. And so it like, <laughs> dude, it was a fucking disaster. I got in. The guy, uh, like the station manager, played Christmas music in July. Like it was really bad. Like he got fired. Like a bunch of people got fired because I was an 18 year old and I overslept. So like I've right. I've had a long time uh, experience around radio. I just uh, I'm a diehard Stern fan. Obviously, you know we're both buddies with Artie Lang. Uh, Artie's like one of my you know um, uh, idols of uh, radio. The best storytelling radio guy of all time, and for my money. Uh, right. Well, you so, know, from if you know from coming from the radio side, um, got sometimes people that are amazing guests aren't great hosts. So, yeah, and I'm not saying that Artie isn't a great host because I listened to his new podcast and he's very good at it. Yeah. So what do you think? Is there little tricks that can like say you got somebody in the chair and you're right. having a conversation, you're doing an interview? Are there little things you can do if that person's like you're you're feeling an awkwardness? Kind of like if you're doing a show and you're bombing, if you've been doing it a long time, right? You know that acknowledging the bomb might be able to spin you out of the bomb. Definitely. Well, for me, it's like what I'm always doing is I'm watching, I'm watching the other person when I'm podcasting. So I'm gonna see if you have something to say and if you're gonna come in hot or if you're feeling a little timid <laughs> on something. Okay. And so I'm I'm watching other people's cues when I'm okay. doing radio because it's like uh, or I'll put myself. It's kind of like um, when you're going into an intersection in traffic and the car in front of you is going and you're inching up. You can tell if it's a four way stop sign. OK, I'm going to be aggressive and pull forward and they're going to stop for me or I'm going to stop and I'm going to let them go into the intersection. So that's kind of how I go. Um, and I try to the as best I can. Uh, look, not to overstep or not to overtalk, or if I see someone going for a point, let them have the way and then keep track of what they've said so I can double back and be like, well, look, there's a lot to respond to this, this and this and this. And I think I don't know. I think that's just a radio guy in me. I think it's like um, it's like an art form. It is when you gel with another uh, radio person and you guys are broadcasting together and it's so smooth. No one's stepping over each other. You're making good points. There's good flow. There's no real dead air. To me, it's like I've got this obsessive compulsive thing, and it's what makes me a good uh, stand-up host is I want everything to be perfect. I want it to be textbook along the way. So I put effort into literally every – even in introducing other comics. It's like every single thing's got its place in my brain, mm -hmm. and that's why uh, I think I'm efficient at it is because I'm constantly thinking about it. All right. So that's a good, I, 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 
it's making me sound like Joe, you're not very good. You're not very good at podcasting. And Kevin is so extra good that when you guys are together, you feel like you don't suck. That's, Can I that's change my I'm... answer, Joe? I'm the MJ and you're my Scotty. And it just okay. works. No, no. Dude, you're look, you're great, man. I but here's the cer- thing. Don't you think there's certain guys? I think there's certain guys in stand-up that probably think they're good hosts. Sure. And then I don't think they're good hosts. Be- and they're guys that get hired to host a lot because they appear to the club to be a good host, but to yeah. the comedians that have to work with them, we're like, shit, this isn't gonna be the easiest set. And it's like, I wish they knew what it is that a guy that a guy like me thinks is a good host right is somebody that's on the team it's a sure. team they take they they, they they don't mind that you're gonna probably do better than them but they're still gonna do good it's like you don't want you yeah. that's what you want well you you have to think sometimes of who's going behind you as a host because you can't it's not a selfish position it's a it's a super sacrificial position to be a good Host, especially in a showcase, it's not really about you. It's about making sure that the show goes well. In turn, that becomes about you because you're doing your job. You're going to get rehired. You're going to make money, and people are going to want to see you again. Right. Uh, so you got to think long term. It's really investing into the show, and that invests into yourself. So mm-hmm. if I know a guy is going to be, uh, I don't know. There's a couple comics that I know that I've heard are like uh, their pet peeve is like, you know, uh, hosts that only do crowd work. And if I know that about you, I might throw in a joke or two on purpose, even though I don't think they need it, the audience. But I might throw a joke in or two afterwards just to get the audience set for like what they'll hear from them. And, I'm, you know, it's like a constantly trying to uh, set the next guy up to succeed. But, dude, I'll tell you right now, I worked a show recently where... I had a killer open. It was all crowd work. It was a big room. And the the first guy up uh, spent his first five minutes talking about how he's not going to do what I do on stage. <laughs> Rather than just fucking doing what you do. Right. Just do what you do. And if you're good, then they'll adjust. Sure. Yeah, it's it like- is an adjustment period. I, I know that I'm the kind of comedian when I have the wrong host. I have to bite the bullet. It's going to take me five to seven minutes to get them on my side. If I have enough, that's where it sucks is, is if it's in New York city where you're only doing an eight minute set. So right, you just right. do bad and you say good night. Well, look, dude, here's the thing is it's not even like a crowd work to material thing, because let's just say you have, no, I'm, I'm just you're trying right. to think you have someone extremely high energy before you. And then you're a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, lower down. There's still that adjustment comic to comic. So for me, it's like, I don't even think about it. It's like the beginning of the show. Everyone knows the bullet spot sucks. The host warms them up and starts a rapport. And the next person is, there's always going to be an adjustment with the first person on the show. Cause you're like settling into what the, the remainder of the show is going to be. So, you know, they call it bullet for a reason, but they also don't give that spot to just anyone that, that can't handle that sort of adjustment period. Uh, but watching someone go, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, uh, look, I'm just not going to do what Kevin does. I'm just not that type of guy. No, no, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, that drives me insane. Unless Kevin did bad, that's not a good move. <laughs> it's not a good, it's not a good move because it may, no, if you do really well doing right. what you do, right. And if you go up and shit on that guy for doing what he did, that makes the crowd not like you. And I definitely am somebody, it took me many years to not self-sabotage my sets. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 
I can remember totally doing that. Uh, I can name an exact one. Uh, Vic DiBetetto, <laughs> before he was like, you know, a guy that was big, you know, on and, and doing like those social media videos that made him fucking launch and become a draw on the road. I got booked to do some. I got booked to do some all Italian show <laughs> at the, uh, it was called the comedy garden. It was Madison square garden, but the downstairs part was like a 500 seat room. And the guy who booked the uh, Montreal comedy festival would do these, did a themed Italian show thinking that's a no brainer. Right. <laughs> and it was, dude, it was all, all Italian heavy hitters. Right. <laughs> Don Myrera was the host. Oh my God. Right. He's the host. So it's Dom. Uh, Vic, Vic DiBetetto went on before me, which is so stupid. Like Vic DiBetetto <laughs> talks 7,000 miles an hour and has a ton of energy. Right. Right. And I have to follow him and I'm just eating it. And, and I said on stage, I go, sorry, I'm not fucking talking about the plastic seat covers like Vic did. I'm not fucking doing that. I'm not doing jokes that my mom said are hacky. Like, cause my mom and dad were at the audience in the audience. My mom, my mom goes, boy, that last guy was kind of hacky. I'm like, how do you know? How do you know? Right. You know? And, um, and it made the crowd hate me, man. I shit on him and you should mm -hmm. just never do that. You just got to, it's like a combination. You got to figure it out. It's like trying to get laid. You got to like figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah the, the first time I slept with my wife, I went, I'm not going to do what your ex-boyfriend did in bed. I just want you to know I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to spend all the time that he did up here or down here. I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. But I don't, I, I barely, it's funny. We 15, 17 minutes in, and I didn't even really want to talk to you about stand up comedy hardly at all. <laughs> and I spent a quarter of it on that. I mean, I, I really want to talk about you as yeah. a dad. As a dad, and before a, we uh... before we get into that, I have to share my my self sabotaging story. Oh, you I got was, one? Yeah, I was Go. booked on a, an Andy Scarpati gig, uh, down at the Comedy Cabaret, one of the which Philly one? ones. Uh, okay, Marlton was it? The one that was in? Oh, a Jersey one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't the Doyle Sound, and it wasn't Northeast Philly. It was the Jersey one. It was the back of an Italian restaurant. And he he booked a, a host, and then and I love this guy. I have no problem uh, saying who it is. Chips Cooney, who does Chips Cooney's classic. Okay, he does he does, he magic, does magic, but like yeah. bad bad magic. magic. I once on worked purpose. with him where they had no stage light. It was hysterical watching a guy do <laughs> ma magic that no one could see. <laughs> it was like no one could see it. I'm re I'm ready to hold up a flashlight. <laughs> Save this guy. You're just hearing a cowbell hit the door. Mm. <laughs> Chips okay. Cooney, it's just bad magic and it's hysterical stuff. So if you like those old um those old like um cups that you would have at camping that like telescoped out, he would hold it flat and then he would uh telescope it out like it was magic that like he made that cup do that. And it was so fucking funny. And the end of his, by the end of his show, he's in his underwear for some, he's like a, like an, like yeah. an old Usher concert. He just strips throughout the show and he's in his underwear and his underwear has a brown stain on the back. Like he shit his pants and he's got like, like a bomb hooked up to his chest. It's just, and then like confetti comes out of his nipples. It's like the most ridiculous thing for a feature. <laughs> For like the middle of a show, I promise when this podcast <laughs> airs, I will superimpose a picture of Cooney <laughs> on the stage for the people to see. Maybe I can even find one online where he's got the shit stain. Right, and then 
So it's like confetti goes, dude. It was like he just won America's Got Talent. It was like, <laughs> shit, like shit fell from the ceiling. People are hitting golden buzzers. You know, he's like families are reuniting for the first time in years because of his act. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, here's a here's a thirty year old comic that's been doing it for five years uh, to talk about depression and why he's bald. And I, dude, I got up and I have never felt more in a well in my life on stage like there's no there's no it was a concrete hole joe there was no way for me to dig out i just had to i just had to take it and it's like it's like that old that old Artie story when he was doing the killers of comedy and he walked on stage and he slipped into uh he slipped on bob levy's blue cheese and fell on yucko's black dildo and he was like what am i doing to myself <laughs> Yeah. But it was one of those moments where I was just like, I should not be going last on this. I shouldn't. What are we doing? That's because Chips Cooney, I mean, <laughs> as I, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I shit on Vic DiBetetto, why don't I just keep it going? <laughs> Chips, Chips Cooney is hilarious when he's doing his magic, and then he makes this horrible transition transition into regular stand-up, and you're going, dude. You just lost them. Like you, what are you doing? Stay, <laughs> stay in the bad magic forever and never come out. Stay in the bad magic. Yeah. Like, no. So he probably did his, it was, you didn't have trouble following him because he did the bad magic and everybody was laughing. Right. You had trouble following him because he, he did this, the regular stand up <laughs> after that and lost the room and then brought you on. I don't think I've ever seen that. He, you don't, I just ha I have like certain things a comedian should never do. One mm -hmm. is maybe I'm wrong because I do like alternative weird. If you could do it in a really weird, creative right. way, get yeah. get into your underwear. If there's a way <laughs> that you look like some really <laughs> wacky, like Andy Kaufman like thing, yeah. I'm in. But mm -hmm. if you're just going to show like a shit stain on your underwear like that, <laughs> it's, it's got to be better than that. You got you know, it yeah. would be like uh, if if Bill Hicks was there, he probably would have pulled you aside after the show and went, you're better than this, man. You're better. <laughs> Dude, the right. bad magic had me dying. Why are you in your right. underwear? It's that's it, when it's because you're, you're nuts. Like, I yeah. think there's a little you're crazy. That's when Cosby pulls over uh, a black comic and goes, pull your pants up. So you're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> just like, but what? that's different. That's that's ridiculous. Oh, that's totally. Like him being no, an no, asshole. I know. I know. But like you shouldn't be showing an a shit stain in your underwear unless you're in some sort of sketch or something, but you sure, got to do sure. 45 minutes and you had them. Like I actually do a bit in my act now in my remember when show, cause it's all nostalgia from the eighties. And I have the uh, song um, ride like the wind by Christopher cross comes on. And I say, this sounds like music you would hear underneath bad magic. <laughs> and, and I, and I try to just come up with, chips cooney-esque bad magic while that song is playing just like it's just anything bad it's like opening your wallet closing it putting your pocket <laughs> and then making a look like you should get it that you know chips there's two guys that i've seen really do the bad magic maybe there's more guys there's chips and there's this other guy uh, norm clar in philly did you ever work with him no i did uh i did work with the legendary wid but he's just more of a yeah that's not magic he's a props prop. guy yeah yeah, yeah. like the, here's a norm McD norm clark would do a thing where he was like i don't know like a, i don't know if it was a 
making a tissue disappear but mm -hmm. it's funny when he, he it's so hard with the two, with one camera on you he holds <laughs> his hands up like look i did it and he's got this oversized thumb <laughs> that you could tell he stuffed the fucking tissue inside of <laughs> and i i love bad magic it's funny to me it's, it's hilarious tough to do for an hour though so maybe that's why chips has to go into the underwear or go into the regular stand-up. It's like right, right, right. It kind of sucks that you <laughs> that, that you can't hold a room with bad magic for. You know what? We're wrong. You know who you know who does bad magic and holds them? Who? And I, and I, and I think he passed away because they did a documentary about him. The amazing Jonathan. He was amazing oh, at yes. It. Yes. yes, that was my wife's first comedy show in Vegas. Ooh, she ever he's went to hilarious. He was hilarious. I think he had he had cancer. They did a documentary about him. All he things was, comedy did that. He held the room for an hour with bad magic. So it can be done. Yeah, yeah. I just I I keep replaying you in my head saying, uh, if you can't get into your underwear in a not weird way, you shouldn't be <laughs> you shouldn't be doing yeah. it. It's, it's like every day I'm in my underwear now. Right, every eh. time I'm in my underwear, it's a weird way <laughs> that I got there. Yeah, yeah. My two things are that and like rap. When comedians would do mm -hmm. a rap and they would that that beat would come on and they do a rap and that was like Ugh. their clothes. I'm like, you, you, that, you can't do that, man. Oh uh, <laughs> no, my my pet peeve is when someone brings the audience on stage and does the arms behind them and the audience member acts as their arms. And mm -hmm. like, does their expressions while they're telling a story? It's oh like yeah, a, that's that's another like a whose line is it anyway type thing. Yeah, when I see one. that, I'm like, oh my god, come on! You don't really see that anymore. Come out like back when I started, you would see a couple. There were a couple guys that were known as the arms bit closer guys. <laughs> you, knew, you knew it. <laughs> you gotta call uh, yourself an arms dealer if you do that. Here's another one for you, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> On the on this same subject, as I yeah. said, we weren't going to talk about comedy, and but I meant we're only going to talk about comedy. That's <laughs> oh, hilarious. Uh, this is, by the way, this is us being dads is not talking about it. True, that's the most true. dad thing you can do is just talk about your job to another father. True, it's true. So, right, so what's the other Saturday one? Night Live just did this over the weekend, and this is another one. Of, it, it, it used to be one of my you can't do that, mm -hmm. and. I'm wondering how you feel about it. Saturday Night Live did a sketch. I think it was this weekend because two different people sent me this, sent me the YouTube <laughs> clip. It must be doing well. So it's like, it's the worst when it's doing well. And I'm saying <laughs> you shouldn't do it. But uh, they did a parody to the song Walking in Memphis. With, oh, yeah. With Pete Davidson. And it's called like Walking in Staten, Staten. Island. Walking Staten. in Staten. Walking in Staten. And I didn't know this till after i was shitting on it that they had the real mark cone yeah. cohen it's in 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 the uh in the music video which kind of makes you go eh, is maybe it's okay it's funnier and more <laughs> clever if the real guy's in it because they did something funny with that that he he doesn't yeah. realize he's in it or something that he's, he's in a right, 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 right. Wait, now, so all right so what you're saying basically is like a like a weird owl you yeah, can't, you can't I said, yeah, I wrote that to my friend. I go, like, SNL's doing parodies. I, I always thought that was like a very um, lowbrow, but I guess I'm, you know what it is? Like, I remember seeing a comic once when I lived in Los Angeles who did a McDonald's bit, but it was a take on McDonald's that I never heard anybody do. And it really had me laughing because I was like, wow, he's not doing all the typical jokes. He's right. got this weird angle on it, which I've heard Chris Rock have a weird angle on. What was his joke in Bring the Pain about? 
McDonald's. You can work at McDonald's. You can't be mayor. What's it? You can do coke and you can still be mayor, but you can't work at McDonald's. You can be mayor. He goes, you can't. They're gonna keep you away from the Happy Meals, right? So I remember that was like a really funny bit. I mean, because it wasn't really about McDonald's. It was more about Mary and Barry at the time. Right, so, right, right. So do you think? Does it matter to go to a low form of comedy is, or is it doesn't because it's just all about making people laugh, you know, because I come from that era of when Lucian Hold ran the comic strip and he would say, well, well, I've heard that before and it probably works in New Jersey. That's what he would say, <laughs> which meant it's not good enough right. to be working at my A-list club in New York City. And I kind of feel that about a song parody. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I look, I'm it's so too weird. easy to write. It is too. It's. It's too easy. Here's the thing, man, is like there is such a uh, balance between making the audience laugh and being original. And it's this this act of like if you're if you're you know, so original you, that the audience doesn't get it, you're not doing your job as a stand up. Well, that's my I used to say this, too. This is my rule. If the audience laughs and comedians want to sit in the back and watch it and laugh also, it's fucking genius. Totally. That's where you want it to be. So I'm wondering if I, because I shut the sketch off before Mark Cohn even came in. I was like, <laughs> this is a parody. This is, I thought this ended with Weird Al and I just was nasty back to my friend who sent me the thing. I'm, like, I'm, not, watching a, I'm not watching a fucking, what were Weird Al's, uh, I'm fat, I'm fat, you know right. it. Oh, I'm, I can't. I never laughed at that stuff back then. But. Yeah, I just, I mean, I did when I was a kid growing up, but it, dude, oh it, it just depends. For me, it's like, I, I want to make the, the audience laugh, but if I feel like something's too easy of a laugh, I won't do it on stage because I have to push myself. Uh, God, this is so douchey to say, but I have to push myself artistically. Mm -hmm. And that's the balance of me is I've got a responsibility as a stand-up first and foremost, to make people laugh. That's the job that I am being paid for. If you're not doing it, you're not doing your job. Uh, secondly, I've got the responsibility as a stand-up to push myself uh, as far as I can creatively and originally on stage. Now, most of my act, and tying this into your uh, your docket, this is what makes me a good host here, Joe. Uh, most of my act is... Bring it all together. Is like my my first album is about my wife. It's about getting married uh, from when we were dating to when we were married. And right now, my entire act is about becoming a dad. But it's not like, OK, it, it back in the day, it used to really bother me when I'm like, oh, man, you know, like I talk about my wife a lot. I talk about my personal life. Is it too much like what other people can do? And then I watched I worked with Bobby Collins a bunch. And I don't know the last time you ever worked with Bobby Collins. It's been a while. He is 20 a, years. Oh, uh, dude. He is just a master at what he does. And it's so effortless and he connects so well. And it's so original to who he is. It just inspired me and it got me out of my head of me going. It's interesting because we're both talking about our wives. We're both talking about our lives. But it's his perspective isn't my perspective. My perspective isn't his perspective. So my act isn't really about the subjects that I'm talking about. My act is my lens of what my life is and right. me explaining that to other people. So even though right now a lot of what I do is talk about having a kid and it's like my experience with a one-year-old, my experience raising an infant, my experience as a father, how I'm trying to change as a person – uh, me being like becoming a father, these are all different perspectives around the same uh, timeline. 
And I think they all work together because it's not like, uh, it's not an hour of uh, raising a one-year-old. It's not an hour of dad jokes. It's, you know, it's an hour of different types of perspectives that you can have in the same situation. And so like, I totally, I totally stopped worrying about uh, if people thought I was going to talk too much about one thing or another, because I, I just quickly realized like, it's my perspective that people want to hear that connects with people when I'm on stage. So as long as I'm being honest to myself and I'm pushing myself uh, and people are laughing, that's the line that I take. Anything else is like, I wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to shit on someone else for doing it. I may not respect it as much as I would respect watching. Uh, and honestly, I'm not blowing you. You know this about uh, how I feel about you as a comic. I think you're incredible. So I'd rather watch uh, someone like you do what you do then watch someone do a song parody on stage. Now, if they're getting laughs, they're getting laughs, they're doing their job. If that's cool for them, that's cool for them. But I probably, you know, that's probably mm -hmm. where our relationship well, I think it's would start I, and end. I, feel, I have a feeling that I have a little bit of that bitter old guy coming in. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, maybe it's because that's what a lot of my, my Remember When stuff, that is what my, my act is right now, is coming from the comparing... And 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 go even knowing even that I know that that could be considered hacky. Mm -hmm. What I think makes it not hacky is I'm aware that this is a hacky premise, and I'm going all the way around it. Sure, so sure, it becomes sure. not hacky again. I'm making it. It's like why I was asking if Mark Mark Cohn, the writer of the song, being <laughs> in the parody. It hacky. It well, that to me is kind of funny that he doesn't yeah. realize he's in it in the parody video. That made me laugh. Not even seeing it, someone just telling me that. I go, oh, yeah, well, yeah. That, that's clever. Mm -hmm. But I think that old man guy is coming in because I and 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 I use Seinfeld as my bar, which I've heard Seinfeld use it as his bar. I saw him do right. stand up like ten years ago and. Someone asked him about, you know, what he thinks of TV now. And he said he keeps his Emmy on all his Emmys on top of his television. So when he sees something shitty on TV, it reminds him when he sees them. I guess I do know what I'm talking about. Like, right, 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 right. When Hold I on shit on, on a I show. Gotta, I got to Go get ahead. my wife's plug for her. This is this is also going into our subject about being uh, a husband. A plug. All right. I don't even know what that means. I'm guessing, ladies and gentlemen, I'm guessing what Kevin Dombrowski is looking for is a iPhone plug, because I know I have to get those a lot for my wife. What was it? A plug for what? Uh, it was a plug for our mortgage. Uh, it was for, no, it was for her laptop. And if that dies, then uh, we don't uh, pay anything. Okay. S similar. I thought it was an iPhone plug. All right. No, no, no. This was for, uh, her work laptop. My gotcha. wife, uh, my wife, uh, has a very, very, uh, high level important job, uh, nice. with many employees underneath her. And, uh, so if that plug goes dead, so does my, so, so does this internet stream, Joe. <laughs> the show just ends. <laughs> so we're, uh. So we have that in common too. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, we we have parallel we have parallel existences because you also, and I think that you. Well, I know for a fact. Like you, you used to be an angry guy, and and you talk mm -hmm. about that. And Bad. uh you've found uh, enlightenment through your wife and your family and what works for you. Uh, and I'm I'm a similar guy. I um. You were angry. Oh yeah. God, half of my really? life was driven off of anger. So 
when uh, more than half, most of my life was driven off of anger. So when I did not uh, have that anymore, after I became a father and the pandemic really reset me as a person, I didn't, um, I don't have that anger that motivates you me. You sure you're not one of those guys from the Midwest who thinks he's being angry into a Jersey New Yorker? You're like, dude, you're not, you're not even close. No, dude. You, you, didn't, even, I... you didn't break anything. Your hands, you didn't break a knuckle on a wall. What are you talking about? I've got permanent, uh, I've got permanent calluses on, uh, on my knuckles. Dude, I broke a steering wheel in a car while I was driving. Oh, okay. All right. Oh yeah. No, Joe, we're, we're, we're there, man. I got you. <laughs> I, I, I would have to... never guessed that about you. you. I guess people wouldn't guess it about me because I seem mm-hmm. like I wouldn't get it. Like I had a friend uh, come to one of my shows the other night and, I, and we don't see each other that much. So when we see each other, we're, we do a lot of reminiscing because we used to be neighbors growing up. Mm. And but we and we both became comedians and he's not doing stand up anymore. And he goes, dude, I remember you once at the Boston Comedy Club club punching the backdrop like as hard as you could. I go, I did. And that just go that made me go, wow, fuck was I bad. You Can you imagine what that says to the audience? A comedian punch the wall. Who does that? It's just and but don't even acknowledge it. You're just fucking punching shit. Hey. Behind. <laughs> I tried to check my bank app one time and I couldn't get on. And it's, it's like this, I can tell you right now. So I'm a, uh, my bank is PNC because I'm a Jersey guy Mm -hmm. and my dad was a PNC guy. So like, that's just how I grew up. And their app is such garbage that sometimes (laughs) it'll lock me out. And I'm just trying to check my account and I'm trying to do 75 things at once. Just a while ago. And I can't get in and I try to call the number and no one's picking up and I just want to check my fucking account. So now this like OCD part of me kicks in. We're all now my entire day is going to be about just checking my account just to see what type of money I have right now. And I tried to do something and it not only uh, uh, wouldn't let me in, but it completely locked my account. So I had to call this 1-800 number and be on hold for an hour. And I was, I was driving and I started going like this and I was like, motherfucker. And then I just didn't stop. And I put so much into it that the steering wheel broke in half. It fucking broke in half. And so while you I, were driving, while, while you were driving. driving, while I was driving. So then uh, while I was making left and right turns, it's just flopping back and forth. It's like, dude, he was like driving a boat. It was like, you know, it's like this soft like <laughs> steering wheel with no structure to it. And I'm like, I can't drive like this. So now I'm driving like, you know, one of those old chauffeurs, just like with his hands on the bottom of the steering wheel, because I I can't fucking it moves when I turn. And that was the impetus for us uh, getting a new car was (laughs) (laughs) I looked I looked. I didn't didn't know that's where this was going. I looked for (laughs) I looked for a stealing uh, like a steering wheel cover with some sort of like uh, structure around it to just wrap it on. So I, you know, whatever, I'd be able to keep driving the car without worrying about crashing every time I turn and it just didn't exist. And we wanted a new car anyway. So we just traded it in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just traded it in for a new car. And there is no, there's no shame worse than, than texting your wife and being like, I have to tell you something. And she knows it's not that I cheated on her. She knows it's not that I'm uh, leaving or or there's anything serious happening. She right. knows it's that I'm a fucking idiot. 
And I have to confess something to you right now because I can't have you get in the car with a, uh, you know, with the steering wheel with erectile dysfunction and have you stare at me like, what the fuck did you do? So I just went, I broke the steering wheel. I know I'm an idiot. Please don't yell at me. I know I'm fucking stupid. I'm working on it. I promise I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out a better way around this. So that's just, uh, I grew up like that. And sometimes I still have flashes, but I'll tell you what, man, the pandemic cleared a lot of it out. Um, not being in a situation where I felt frustrated. Obviously the pandemic makes you feel frustrated, but it's like stuck in a career. It's like, you know, I basically had no career for a year. And then on top of that, having a kid and becoming a father really settled me down in life. And I think it's because, and we're good now. My dad and I have a good relationship now for a while. We were a little Rocky and I think I was really angry at that a lot of my life. Wow. And, we have that uh, in common too. All right. Yeah. And then when I had a kid and became a father, it kind of took away my anger towards mine and I just refocused it into making sure that I was going to be as good of a father as I could be. And uh, actually through doing that, I mean, uh, he loves my kid. He's like, it's just like, she stops him dead in his tracks and uh, it's, it's nice. It's like, we're, we're making up for lost time uh, through my own kid. So it kind of like changed both of our uh, approaches to like our relationship too. But yeah, I was dude. And I, I look, I'll tell you this, man. When I didn't feel angry anymore, it was at peace with, you know, my dad and I had a, a little bit of a rocky relationship. I had peace with that. Uh, my wife and I were were peaceful. I, I was a father. It was the happiest time of my life. I'm really finding peace. I don't care anymore about like, what do I have to do and stand up to get ahead? It was more so like, how do I, how do I become the best version of me on stage? Not how do I become the best comic on stage because it's a fool's game chasing what someone else does is a fool's game you have to chase what you do because right, why would you exactly. compare why would you compare your quote-unquote art to someone else's art if that's not what you do why would you spend your first five minutes saying i'm not gonna do what kevin does <laughs> what kevin just did on stage i'm gonna do something different so that was his way of trying to set, <laughs> set himself apart. So maybe sure. he did mean it that way more instead of being like Kevin sucks. He meant like, I'm oh, no, no, I don't him. think I don't think he thought I was bad. I think he thought it was like, you guys are if you right. like what he just did, You're it's going to take me. a while for you to like yeah. me. Was he and really so, slow and dry? Is that what it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's okay. basically what it is. Uh, and then so after all of that, it was like I um I lost this competitive edge that I had through like, uh, man, probably the first 10 years of being a standup. And I also, dude, I learned a lot of standup on the road with Mencia and it is a really competitive tour. It's like, you know, we're like fucking NBA players where it's like, you get off stage and you know, if you slip on stage, uh, someone's like, you know, what happened there? Or like, what took you so long to get the audience? And you're just like, Jesus Christ. So it's like, dude, it's like fucking boot camp. You're just like, you know, you're like an NBA rookie just trying to fucking make it. Right. And uh, and so I was really, really competitive for a long time. And uh, and I, I feel like this part of my life from 10 years till now. And, you know, my kids uh, over a year old now, you know, the pandemic uh, isn't. You over, just have one. Just one. Yeah, kid yeah just one right now. And, and he's and it's a boy or a girl. Little girl. Little girl. Yeah. And she's she's one. She just turned one October 12th. Oh, wow. So, uh, all of this, man, just kind of settled me. And it's like, 
at first I was scared to not have that competitive edge because I felt like that's what made me good was that I had this fire of like tunnel vision. I'm only going to be good. So everything I did was motivated towards just better, 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 better. And then when I didn't feel that anymore, I was like, fuck, is this, is this where I'm going to cap off? Cause I'm not angry enough to keep going. And then I just realized like, nah, man, I'm just at peace with this. And it's more like, uh, now how do I, how do I tap into the best version of me constantly? How do I keep that going? But I totally, dude, I totally relate. When you tell me some of these angry stories are like the fact that you put out an album of you just freaking out at people on stage <laughs> is so fucking funny. It's so fucking good. I wish I, now that I look back, I wish that album was like, it should have consisted of a few of the ones where I got out of control and I wasn't funny. Cause I put all, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. That album has all the ones where I'm fucking killing a heckler and winning and like right. being hilarious and the crowd, not being afraid of me. There was a lot of tracks when I was going through and you know, that's what was even crazier that I didn't have to make recordings to make that album, that they were just, <laughs> they were just pie. I just started listening to old shit and I'm like, every one of these has a moment where I'm being an asshole. Oh, wow. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. That's wild. And also enough, like to have the wherewithal to hear that and be like, you know, every five sets I threaten to kill someone. I should, I should do something with this. But there was a lot. It was always that always had it like not even like a yeah like a threat that is so bad <laughs> that I'm hoping someone to die and I mean it and I mean it. This cr is crazy. <laughs> Where your wife's not on your side when you come off your state. There's no oh, worse yeah. feeling than that when your wife's going, what the. And you're like, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong. Like, I didn't even know. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Right. Not, I wasn't like, I used to say to her, at least I'm not one of those comedians that comes off stage and is still thinks that the person was like, you know, and that they weren't part of the problem. Like, right, I, right, right, right. Just, it, it says a lot that now that I'm on medica medication for anger and anxiety, that I don't ever get heckled anymore. It doesn't even happen. Mm. I can't, I can't even remember. The last time, and it used to be every third show. Like when I used to go to a club and have to work Tuesday to Saturday or Tuesday to Sunday and do eight shows, I used to have a, like an anxiety attack because I knew I'm going to get in an argument really bad, <laughs> at least with at least two of the shows out of the eight that right. I might get, I might get fired every week as a shot <laughs> of me getting sent home. Where I got to just book my own flight and leave. Right. What a fucked up situation to know, like to know that's going to happen and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Like you're so afraid of yourself in that moment. Oh, well, I was going to therapy and that wasn't working. I was like, I went to for years and I was like, yeah. it still fucking happens. And then I was like, I got nothing to lose. Let's try meds. And then uh, yeah, yeah. it went away and uh, it's just crazy. And then you have to, like what you said, you're doing comedy now about being a, dad and you used right. to be about being a husband it's like i'm already through the the era of oh i started meds comedy like now right. it's like it doesn't even really come up anymore when i'm on stage i don't even right maybe somewhere if something weird happens it gets acknowledged well that's but. the thing man it's like you know the the best advice it might be the best advice i ever got 
there's probably two pieces of advice that that Carlos Mencia gave me that really set in. It's so funny that we're using Carlos Mencia and so many people that probably listen to I the know. podcast hate him, right? And and you know what, dude? It's like everyone has their opinion of whatever ne- they think happened. I never met the guy. I don't yeah. know him at all. So and 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 here's the thing: is on the other side, I know him as Ned Mencia, and he is uh, my life is exponentially better. Because he entered my life, personally and professionally. I was at his kid's christening. I was at his 50th birthday party at his house. He was invited to my wedding. Uh, you know, we talk all the time. Um, wow. Okay. And uh, he's, he really is. Dude, I would not be... I'd be a good host, I think, no matter what. Because that's my that's my natural spark. Well, I know stage. the title of this podcast now. This, ep- <laughs> this episode... Kevin, he likes Carlos Mencia. <laughs> That's Everyone's fine. listening to that. I'm not ashamed. Post it. Uh, and then, uh, but I, I would not be as good of a stand-up if it weren't for him. There's like, there's absolutely no chance. Uh, he just like, really, I mean, I like went through the fucking ringer. He like stripped me down to who I am as a, a person. Then I just got like rebuilt as a stand-up. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's fucking wild. But he told me, when I was really like, um, really sh- uh, going through some struggling uh, struggles writing, and I always wanted to have something new because you started on a Thursday on a weekend with him, and his crowd was so good. By Sunday, you're like halfway done with that bit. It's like halfway polished. You have a really good idea of how it's gonna go. You can get some really good fucking work done. So I oh, always yeah. tried to have something new, something like solid and new that I was like, you know, here's a rough idea, the framework. Uh, is sound and I know it's going to get laughs, but by Sunday, this could be a monster joke. And um, so I always tried to do that. And I went through a period where I couldn't and I was like racking my brain. So I'm doing these big rooms and I'm like so desensitized to it at this point that I'm just throwing out premises, just like half-baked premises of just like just to have something new to fucking feel something. And I started struggling more on stage because of it. Obviously, it's not complete jokes. And I was like, man, I fucking like I can't get out of my head. I feel stuck. And uh, and he gave me advice. He said, you know, you don't want to do the same jokes because you're tired of it. But ninety nine percent of this world has never heard that material. So for you or for them, that joke is brand new. And if you're not telling it that way, you're not doing that joke a service and you're not doing your job. Those people came to see you do comedy they didn't come to hear what jokes you have they want to see you perform they don't give a fuck what you say they want you to make them laugh and it like totally it totally switched it he was like you're being selfish it's not about you it's about them it's about making them laugh you do it for you but when you're on stage you're doing it for them that's the job that you're doing and it totally put that into perspective and i think the best advice he ever gave me was know why you're funny and know why you're not funny most people know That's why good. they're not funny. If yeah. they bomb, they go, why did that bomb? And you analyze it, and then you don't repeat those mistakes. No one kills and goes, why did that work? They just go, thank God I killed. I feel great right now. But if you break down why that worked and why you killed, you're going to kill again because you're going to reconstruct that in a more intricate yeah. way or in another in another way, instead of just going, oh, man, I just went into the batting cages and I connected at 100 miles an hour. That was fucking lucky. No, you want to <laughs> you want to know why that fucking worked, because right. then you can redo it. And those two pieces of advice really shaped uh, how I approach comedy. It was like it was fucking insane. He, he just like fucked me up. That's 
that's great advice. And uh, I'm going to use it to segue into our final segment. <laughs> this guy's a great host. <laughs> Aren't I a great host, everybody? See the way I did that? See the way I knew I had I had voicemails that I, they want to hear our take. These people, these are listeners. And one guy, one guy here left two messages, and they aren't even on topic. I mean, he just he called them before he called them in before the uh, the topics came out on social media. So, uh, and uh, I'm I'm curious what these are. One of them's only nine seconds long. I'm dying to hear it. I hope it's just a dick joke. All right, let's hear what uh, this guy's got to say here. This is gonna have nothing to do with us as dads, <laughs> as husbands, as comedians. All right, let's go. And uh, give me a second. Joe, Swifty from Nero. Here's my issue to discuss. It's not a question. Can we talk about highways and the left-hand lane is supposed to be for passing? <laughs> How many idiots are out there that don't utilize that? They sit there and they sit in the left-hand lane going 40 miles an hour, and that's what I'm going through right now, period. While I'm on that topic, why is there still a toll at the George Washington Bridge? I just figured I should gripe to somebody. <laughs> That's what he's got. Why is there a toll at the GW? That's I got to tell you, Seinfeld it's free sounds, both ways. Yeah, Seinfeld sounds different nowadays. <laughs> Why is there a GW bridge toll? I don't know. Uh, I think I'm I am definitely a guy that accidentally is in the left lane going too slow. Oh, I'm, really? I'm, I'm bad sometimes like that. Yeah. Interesting. I'm an, obliv- I'm an oblivious driver. I'm not, I'm a very bad driver. I find that so hard to believe because I think. I think it's the same thing as maybe I'm wrong. Okay, you're never lucky on stage. You know what you're doing. You have instincts. You right. do things on purpose. Right. So I find it hard to believe unless you just fucking tune out and driving is just your meditation. Then... I don't tune out. I just I know I swerve a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what is I'm that? A, I'm a guy who like I I don't know. I'm just uh, I let my wife drive. If I'm if I'm on Adderall, <laughs> usually when I'm in the car going somewhere, it's at a time where it's like the end of the day and I'm not on medication. When I'm on Adderall, I'm a better driver. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. No, um, I uh I'm one of those guys uh I I have trouble relinquishing control of someone else driving. I love I love driving and I uh in my 20s I was a fucking maniac speeding. I was never reckless but I I was oh god, I was get there as fast as I can. And I think too. now I take my time a little bit more and I tell you what dude, the second I had a kid I stopped listening to music in the car. I drive in complete and utter psychotic silence. Wow. I should do that. It's great, dude. It no. really is. I got I a fourteen-year-old. Think... He, we, the whole ride is him DJ. <laughs> he's DJing his music. <laughs> Whoever decided to put the the uh, you know, some people would say, well, don't let him connect to it. I'm like, he's fourteen. His friends are in the car. He DJs sure. for them. Yeah, and it's the worst music. No, I have to because my wife works from home, and I hear her meetings all day. And I, uh, I'm a stay-at-home father with a one-year-old. The second I'm in the car fucking sound off no one talk it's silence the entire drive and it is unbelievably serene <laughs> that'll stop when your kids get a, when your son gets a little older it's gonna be different trust me you're gonna be trying to drown them out all right let's this guy left another message let's hear what his second one is 
I love that he left too. <laughs> Let's go. That would be toll booth on the George Washington Bridge. Everybody's eliminated a freaking toll booth except for New Jersey coming to New York. <laughs> you know what I thought that was going to be like? Was that song that uh, Stan by Eminem, where he's just he's just recording, blaming him for not meeting him afterwards, and then he dies at the end of it. I thought it was we were just going to hear like <laughs> that. Be hilarious. And you know, one more thing. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, I'm going to keep these rolling. Joe, Kevin, Ron Poliquin, Dover, Delaware, DoverLawOffice.com. Uh, just got an observation to see if you guys agree, like, see what your thoughts are on it. Like, back when I first started watching football in the 80s as a kid, there was literally no white wide receivers. Hmm. There was Steve Largan. That was, like the only, that was, like, the only guy. He was, like, the white wide receiver. And now, like, since Wayne Trebek was on the Jets, there was, like, a slot white wide receiver almost on every NFL team on every like college football team. They're always like the slot guy. They're never like the big play guy. They just run smart routes. They're kind of quick. Um, I feel like this is a story of racial equality and overcoming <laughs> racial stereotypes that hasn't been told uh, and deserves its own documentary or 30 for 30 or whatever thing they, they have on it. But it, is what I'm observing correct is that there's there's been like a renaissance of white wide receivers in the NFL where like you can't imagine like how much discrimination comes when you're like the first white guy that wants to be a wide receiver. Anyways, love the podcast. You guys are both funny. See ya. <laughs> I, I, I I'm sitting here his whole call trying to think of other white wide receivers back in the from back in the day. Mm. I do remember another one. Dave Dave Casper was somebody. He was on the Raiders. He was really good. There was always there's. I, I mean, I get he's making a he's exaggerating by saying none. Sure. There were some, but um, it's hilarious. What, what, what's your take on? I you first off, I uh, I love. Uh, I love that he uh, he said that white <laughs> it's always the white <laughs> wide receiver that's making the smart uh, route as if the black wide receiver was not going to make the smart decision and he <laughs> just catches in in the end zone. That's a very funny uh, take on it. No, I think uh, I like that. <laughs> I also like that he said it's got to be tough being the first uh, white guy to be a wide receiver. Like it wasn't tough being the first black guy in the NFL period. <laughs> yeah. that's such a funny uh a funny way of putting that um no i think uh, i think he's onto something this is clearly some sort of reparations this white guys are only going to get five year five yards at a time and uh and the black wide receivers are going to get 50 uh 50 right. yards and a mule and he, that's just he's saying white white guys are smarter and they're gonna <laughs> they're not gonna get 30 yards but they're gonna get open for five over and over <laughs> Right, that's basically what he said. Fucking, I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna do a hard out, and I'm always open because I'm a <laughs> did well on the SATs. I studied. All right, let's just keep them rolling here. See if someone has a question. Hello, Jerry Rowan from Philly. So, um, my question today is, um, well, I'm a father of four. 
I've been married for 20 years. And I'm also, I've also been on the fringe of the entertainment business, I guess you could say myself for most of my life. I, I, I did community theater starting at seven years old. I did it all the way up till I was 25 when I made the decision to, to, to choose rock and roll in my rock band because I, I had a job. I also had, uh, I was doing community theater and I, and I had a rock band and I had to pick one. So I picked a rock band. I did that for 30, 30 plus years. And during that time, I had gotten married and I had four kids. And then uh, things slowed down as it, as, it, as it happens when you get older. And uh, I, I would still do various various projects with my band and a, and a duo that I also play in sometimes. And then um, what happened was my my children found theater. And after 25 years, they brought me back in. And what I'm getting at, to make a long story short, is that I just got done doing a show with all four of my kids and my wife, where we all acted and performed together, and it was really great fun. And show was Footloose and just closed, and it was it was it was awesome. But what I'm getting at is, as a songwriter, um, I always find it difficult to always be honest in what I'm writing about, especially when I'm writing about my wife or my children. And I'm sure that in comedy. It has to be even harder because I'm not necessarily trying to, I'm, I'm rarely am I trying to be funny, although I guess it happens, but that's besides the point. What my, my question is, how do you find the balance of what to leave private and what to make funny and to share with everyone for less? Hmm. So that's my question. Sorry, took the long road there. <laughs> Take care, guys. And I, and I was hoping that you and, and your guests could probably chime in on that. All right. Take care, guys. So long. Jerry always has very philosophical questions. Uh, Mm. Who wants to who wants to go first on that one? I'll let you go, Kevin. Well, first off, I love the Philly accent and thinking of someone with a Philly accent doing theater is (laughs) so fucking funny to me. Romeo, Romeo, (laughs) wherefore art thou, Romeo? We're doing Uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Every Tuesday, we're going to do it. I love that. Just the word. My dad says Tuesday, <laughs> Thursday, and Wednesday. Streetcar named Desire. I'm going to smoke God. out of the streetcar. Uh, <laughs> I, um, that's a great question. I love that. Um, yeah, it, look, first off, no joke is completely honest. Some of them are. I shouldn't say none are. But most jokes aren't completely honest because life just isn't that funny. Uh, I know for me, everything I do on stage is born out of some honest moment or some true moment, but it may not end that way. It may end, uh, with something that's a little, uh, more well-written than what actually happened, or it takes a left instead of a right, because it's just a funnier way to do it on stage. But that doesn't mean you're not being honest on stage. It's born out of an honest moment. And then, you know, you're writing, uh, what the funniest ending for that would be. Uh, So that's kind of how I approach the honesty on stage. And in terms of what I would and wouldn't talk about, it's um, a lot of my jokes, uh, my wife loses and a lot of my jokes I lose. And I'm okay. I'm okay with that seesaw. Uh, I'm not really the hero of my act. Uh, I'm kind of the anti-hero because that's how I feel about myself in my head. I'm the guy that you root for that never quite wins. 
And that's okay with me. Uh, and that's who I like to be, honestly. Um, and so with regards to like my wife or my kid, if I feel uncomfortable in talking about it on stage and I feel like it's crossing some personal boundaries of, uh, I'm a pretty private person off stage. Uh, even though on stage, all I do is talk about my life. There's definitely some things that like, I know, <laughs> I know there was one time where my wife watched me think of a joke of a situation that were happening. She saw it on my face and she just went, no. <laughs> and I went, okay. Like, you know, I, Wait, I didn't call her from the stage. No, 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 no. Like we were, it was like we were in bed or something. Oh, you, you mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. It was like it an happened intimate in real moment life. between you. my wife and I. She said, and then, even dare. yeah. And what? she saw my eyes glaze over. She saw me just go from looking at her to looking in my brain, and she went, "Don't." She goes, "Not this one." And for me, I have to respect that. I, dude, I put out an album about my wife. It's called "High on Molly." And I got lucky <laughs> enough. Uh, my wife's name, uh, obviously, obviously, Molly. Yeah. Uh, it, I got lucky enough. It debuted in the top five and it went number one twice. Wow. All of that is about my wife. She gave me the opportunity to do that. In just being in my life, I'm not going to disrespect the ones where she goes, that one is just for us. I'm not hurting for materials. So for me, it's, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. if she If she can have an entire album, any one of her coworkers can look up high on Molly and, and an album about her is going to pop up and that's going to be like that forever. So I'm okay with her pulling the plug on one or two that she's like, I don't want that one out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a pretty good sense of like, mm, that's kind of crossing the line. And I don't think I should do that. I, I sound similar to you, Kevin. I think where I think I'm slightly different is that uh, I think it takes me of doing it once okay like she doesn't like i can think of one that just happened and she wasn't there and i said it on stage and uh <laughs> well she might not have been mad at it because it, to me it's not that bad about her but it was something revealing right um and in, i knew i think i even said it on stage i go i'm about to say something that happened today <laughs> it's not even a bit but I'm right. pretty sure you guys are going to laugh just because I'm revealing this and, and it'll probably, it would probably, and I, it'll never work on stage again, mm. but I knew it was funny at that moment because it was sure. so fresh. Right. Just like my uh, thing shut off behind me. For a second. <laughs> see if I can get that to come back on. That's going to take 10 minutes to get back on. <laughs> <laughs> Come you on. gotta love it. You gotta love a conversation that lives longer than the screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> did no after on. after you did that? Did what you happened? think? Did you think to your no? Not the screensaver. I'm saying <laughs> after, <laughs> after you did that on stage, did you think to yourself, uh, "All right, well, that was fun to do here. It was a connective moment, but I'm probably not going to do that again." Well, yeah. Oh, I don't think I, there was ever a moment while I was doing the joke that I thought that. But mm -hmm. right now, talking to you, I can easily say that I know it's not it's not even a bit. It's just something that happened. Right. And I just for some it came up. It connected with something we were I was doing on stage about my wife. That was a bit. But this one wasn't. And it was just something. And I blurted it out. And <laughs> I think I'm the kind of person that I have to do it once. Yeah. And feel it. And then go, hey, I did this joke. It got a big laugh. 
let me know if it makes you uncomfortable and I won't do it anymore. Like that's sure. I'm, you know, there's still a chance that I'll be an asshole and it might slip out somewhere. Right. But it's not going to slip out on television or something. <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's going to be, it's going to slip out at some gig. Right. 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 And 20 States away from here, you know? Right. I mean? And I, I think that's, that is the difference is like, I know, I know what I would do on stage and what I wouldn't do on stage. I've got that hard filter for myself of like, I just know I go, mm, I wouldn't do something like that. Or yeah, I would. And then, and then when I do it on stage, that's when I, what you had just said, your process kind of takes over where mm -hmm. I go, yeah, it was fun, but I didn't really enjoy it. And it probably isn't going to do as well the mm -hmm. next time based on how I feel telling it. So that's probably mm -hmm. not going to go back into the act. There could be a point where if I did think it was a bit, and I think it's really funny, and she says no, I'll try to figure out a way that it wouldn't piss her off and fix the bit. That's keep, fair. Keep it as funny. That might happen. Um, it doesn't happen that much anymore. I don't know. I don't. I haven't been bringing her into my maybe because I'm doing the Remember When show right now. Yeah. None of my material is about her at all right now. <laughs> it's kind of fun. None of the everything's just all I could say anything and she could care less. But um, <laughs> all right. So let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. What's up, Joe? Chris from Ashland, Mass. Here. Hope you're all doing well. My question today is for either you or Mr. Kevin Dombrowski. What is it about being a stand-up comedian in the world we live in today that you find most encouraging? And what is it that you find most discouraging? Take care. Another good one. That is a very good question. I have, uh, gonna I have a... A, it's going to be a seven hour answer though. I mean, I'm <laughs> no, already no. over. I'm already over my time limit here. So keep <laughs> it tight, Kevin. Give me a tight answer to that. Yes. One. Yeah. Uh, the most encouraging thing is when you talk about something that's supposed to be taboo and the audience is so in on the joke that we forget about the pressure of, I'm not supposed to laugh at that, or this isn't supposed to be funny and it fucking destroys them. We all right, love it. Right. That's the most encouraging. The most discouraging is when that doesn't work and they won't go on that journey with you because they're afraid to laugh at something that people say they shouldn't laugh at. So it's the same thing when it works, it's the best. When it doesn't work, you go, oh, come on. I know you're better than that. And you know, I'm better than that. I wouldn't just, but put do you, you... Th do you think they're not coming with you because it's upsetting and you, and you still will feel, Oh, this is funny. They're wrong. Yeah. Really? There's in that situation. For I guess. Sure. Well, that could happen. In a, yeah. If you're at like a, a young crowd sometimes. That right. Happens. Right. Right. There's a, there's a joke I'm doing now about my, uh, when my daughter first started talking and I have a feeling sometimes lately, it hasn't been hitting as much. Six months ago, it was a fucking certified killer. It's about <laughs> Cuomo. And I think it's because he's less and less in the news. So I'm starting to realize now, oh, there might be a shelf life on this. But it's uh, it. my daughter. It's also edgy. So some crowds don't get it. Some crowds are, uh, do. I won't get it. <laughs> yes, you will. I'm dumb. So, no, when so, it comes to anything political, I won't get Go well, so I say that my daughter, when she first started talking, uh, it was irritating because every word was the same. And as a stay-at-home parent, it's frustrating getting someone something they want when everything sounds like ba-ba, 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 ba-ba. And I keep doing this one sound and I go, it's like an old woman in a nursing home, you know? And you're like, where the fuck is Cuomo when you need him? And that <laughs> joke used to crush 
That was like a 30 <laughs> seconds in and out. And the last two weeks, it gets noticeably less and less. Right. And he's I'm like, right. And news. I'm starting to think it's because he's out of the news cycle. But before the last two weeks, if that joke doesn't hit, it's like, ah, loosen up just a little bit. I'm making fun of a sexual predator. I'm not making fun of victims. I'm not making fun of my daughter. I'm making fun of a guy that got caught doing some shady shit and go fuck himself. And he's the guy we should make fun of. Right. Well, then you say that after the joke. <laughs> Bill, Bill Burr was Bill Burr has some of the best moments like that, where he says some sort of other disclaimer after the joke. And that's mm -hmm. almost funnier than the joke, the way he puts it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Oh, that you're waiting for my answer. Yeah. What about you? One? Um, most encouraging, most discouraging. Well, I think what's to me, what's one of the most encouraging things is the stand up is never over, you're never done, there's always a chance. And now, coming up in that time of social media, you never know, you could be one post away from something really launching something, or one acting job away from really launching something so it's like you know you're playing poker basically so that's fun that it doesn't matter how old you are if you can really connect with people in a certain way and and you can keep doing this till you're really old it's cool it's like definitely knowing how to play golf i always say learn golf because you can play when you're 98 <laughs> as long as you're not as long as you can stand erect even if you can't you could still fucking play right right um let's think of what's discouraging about it i mean I mean, mine kind of comes to like my mind goes to a little bit like what Ron Pollock went, was saying. He was bringing race into it a little bit. Um, what is discouraging is think when you you see that it seems extra hard for um, a white guy at, at my age, you know, that it's that the that the 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 bullseye for somebody. It's just harder to hit. Right. It's like they just took, you know, I remember it got me really down. I had an argument with my sister-in-law once. Ted Alexandro, who I think is like a brilliant comedian, and he sent me this special because he was going to do my podcast. So I was going to play pieces of it on the on the episode. And he was telling me that I think at the time Netflix said they're not going to put on any non-American comedians unless they're really famous. What? So like you could get on as a no name like a Ted, but but you'd have to be like there'd have to be some major adversity reason why they get on, not just because of funny. And right. that was really discouraging because I thought I'm like this guy's like Miles Davis. He's like a he's like a, I, I, his stand up to me sounds like a jazz musician, and I think he actually has a jazz background. And I think and some of the material was so relevant about everything that's going on in the world right now. And I was mm -hmm. like, and no one and, and a broad audience isn't going to get to hear this intelligent point of view here. And it was depressed me. And I got in an argument with my um, sister-in-law, who's very hard, uh, cons not conservative, very hard liberal. And it was like. And I don't even know where I stand politically. I'm so all over the place. I honestly, I am. And but that just—I was like, don't you understand? I'm like mad that the best person doesn't get the jobs anymore. Like I just right. don't. I hate that 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 exists. It's like just, you know, 
always pick the best and why do and even me like producing shows i think i always have to like i have to diversify it when you're writing a script you have to diversify it when you're writing it you got to put this many of this kind of person you have to have that it can't just be like what you want it to be right and it just it, it makes it so hard so that that to me is um is depressing you should uh definitely not try to ever be a wide receiver <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> uh, let's go to our last caller, everybody. We're at the last one. Here it goes. It's a 215 area code. Ooh. That's a good sign. Another hey, Philly. Good morning, one. Joe. This is Matt from outside Philly. Uh, I have a question uh, regarding marriages, relationships, and careers in comedy. So, you know, listening to Joe for quite a few years, you really appreciate the ups and the downs of having a career in comedy. You have a lot of bookings and you have nothing. It's just inconsistent, like work days and income coming in. So how has that type of career affected your relationships and marriages? And did your partners really appreciate or understand what a career in comedy meant and how that would impact your relationship? That's all I got, Joe. Hope you're doing well. Talk to you soon. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I can't decide how he wants us to answer that question. Uh, I mean, and because he asked two questions, kind of, which is, mm. did they know that they were going to get into that? And then also, what what does it do to the relationship? Did um, you did you do stand up before you met your wife? Yes, and she yeah, met. She saw me at a comedy club. That's how our, we met, but we didn't meet that night mm, she just saw it. me and left and then we got set up on a date later like two weeks later so um she, but she always that comes up a lot in our relationship like that she didn't realize really what it entailed <laughs> that they didn't you know she even a psychologist didn't realize right that a comedian you know I mean, for me, I don't know if it's the same with you. My mood is so connected to not just my income as a comedian, but like it also will connect with uh, if I'm doing a project that I'm excited about. Like I, right. you know, if, if so, but definitely when I'm right now, I feel like I've been in good moods because that uh pandemic shut everything down so badly they got used to just not even doing comedy and now it's like every gig seems incredible when you get to do one yeah You're in such a good mood at everything so. yeah 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 i feel that i definitely feel that my um i i met my wife when i was so we met in 2013 i started 2010 so i was about three years in and the first like major thing that happened when she was around was the tour with Mencia. And it was kind of the jump up of everything. Uh, my wife and I crawled through the, the trenches of uh, our respective industries together. Um, you know, with, with standup, it's such an unpredictable thing of like, there's really no making it. You just go until you get to where you want to be. That's pretty much it. You know, it's like, whatever your goal is, that's your level of making mm -hmm. it. Um, all I ever wanted to do was pay my bills doing this and make people laugh in New York. And, you know, then you get there and you're like, ah, all right, now what else, what else is there? Uh, so that's kind of where I am. 
where it's like I've I've gotten some some big opportunities. I've gotten some fun opportunities. I support myself. Uh, I've uh, I feel like I have a good uh, respect and reputation as a stand-up in New York, which means a lot to me. Uh, I feel the best that I've ever felt on stage, and uh, you know, uh, now is it's tough to gauge it now because it's like you know it depends on how many clubs are open. So I'm I'm not making the most I've ever made in stand up, but I'm I'm doing okay uh, relative to, um, you know what I could be doing. But with her, uh, she's a massive success story with her job and her career, and I'm unbelievably proud of her. And I love, I do not mind that she is like the breadwinner, makes more money. Like, I doesn't bother me at all. We equal each other out. There have been times where I've felt guilty along the way of not pulling my weight in the relationship, and. I've been like, what do I need to do? Should I find the day job? Should I do this? Should I do that? And she was always the one to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? She's like, you, you, I would have married someone with a day job if that's what I wanted out of something. She's like, I married you. She's like, you think I want you to go get some bullshit job and then come home miserable because you're not doing what you love or what you should be doing in life? And, you know, that's not an option. We'll figure, you know, we'll always figure it out. I'm never going to be broke. Uh, you know, I'm always going to hustle. I'll always find some sort of way uh, to make a living doing what I do. And I think that's uh, that's just what you get to a level where it's like, okay, I'm not going to go broke, but I may not. You know, we may not get a third car this month <laughs> because of me. <laughs> uh, but we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll pay our bills and we have a kid and everything. So for me, uh, it's only being in a relationship made everything better for me. And I was afraid at first to not be one of those dudes that just like hangs out in the club constantly and waits for an opportunity to get on stage. But I learned really early that I can burn myself out by working too much. And I don't care about what I'm doing on stage when I do that. So that balance of like having a life and being happy and then stand up being my job and personally fulfilling those two things need to counterbalance each other and interact at the same time for me to be at my best. So I think being in a relationship only helped me and, uh, you know, roots me, uh, uh, it, mentally, but also like, yeah, I don't want to say financially, but, uh, you know, it, it helps balance. It helps the whole balancing act of, uh, of the act and being successful. I think. I agree. I agree. <laughs> you fucking playing me off. What is this? The Oscars? Where did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing was is i was about to place i was about to play some but then ozzy osbourne flying high again came on what does that Joe's even mean fucking symphony's playing me off here what does that even mean <laughs> that's what i was trying to get to i wasn't trying to play you off i just uh <laughs> i was feeling a strong ending you yeah. you come from radio you need that hard out i do right? i let me get a nice calm bed over this uh, ad read. Kevin, you you answered that last question uh, fantastically. Thank and uh, it sounds like you and I are married to very similar people. My wife would not also would not want me. And I did that a little bit during the during uh, COVID. I went and did construction during the day for about four or five months. Yeah. You know, I did it and uh, it was hard. I didn't mind it because I was friends with the guy I was doing it with. Sure. So it was all right. But uh, I'm thrilled that we're back uh, <laughs> doing th this shit that we're meant to do. And, no uh, shit. Yeah. So um, let me. What, what do you want to plug? Uh, well, I have a podcast called Just Joking, 
Uh, I'm a very good host. You heard Joe say you are, and you got some uh, a very a lot of A list guests. I mean, I was I looked, I was like, wow, you got a lot of good guests. We do the last the last four uh, have been Jamie Kennedy, Lisa Lampanelli, uh, Rich and Bonnie, and uh, we just had Joanne Nosachinsky from uh, Fox News, a former Miss New York and Compound Media. So it's been I a, saw that, and I saw you had you had uh, Doug Stanhope on there. He's a Stanhope big one. Stanhope was awesome. Yeah, Todd Barry. Todd uh, Judy Barry. Hull. When you had Todd Barry on the list, I was like, wow, this guy's good at getting guests because Todd Barry is one of those guys that will just enjoy saying, no, bro. Oh, yeah. No, man. Yeah, yeah. He Can't also, it, man. that's how he answered the podcast. It. It's, I just break down news stories and I would go, uh, this happened this week. And then it would go, uh, tell me more about it. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, it was he awesome. Just, so He just calls me Jersey whenever he sees me. What's up, Jersey? That's hey Jersey. So hey funny. Jersey. What's up, Jersey? <laughs> you going so downtown? Can you give me a ride? <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is called Just Joking. It's available wherever you download podcasts. Uh, check it out. It was just in the New York Comedy Festival. It was a good time. Yes. Uh, I have an album called High on Molly. Uh, available everywhere as well. And uh, come see me around New York. I'll be at the Brigada December. I'll be in DC for uh, New Year's with Gina Brione. And, uh, nice. It'll be fun. We got a nice. schedule coming up. Go see Kevin live. Great, great comic. Great dude. Thank you. And uh, fun to fun to be in an elevator with. <laughs> That's true. We got chemistry, <laughs> Joe. Just face it. We got chemistry. <laughs> All right, man. Go do go do the rest of your day now. You probably have another podcast. Have Perfect. a good one. And uh, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks, buddy. Good hanging, bud. All yeah. right. Let's see if I can hang. Oh, I did. I hung up on him, and now I can do my little plugs. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's another Pretender to Contender, Kevin Dombrowski. I'm Joe Matarese. Go follow me. Go follow me at the Joe Matarese, as you see scrolling along the bottom there. That's my TikTok. Of course, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, I want you to have a little more music there. Just give me a little more bed of music. Could you give me a little more bed? <laughs> Uh, also, come and see me live day after Thanksgiving. I'll be at the Stress Factory for two shows in New Brunswick, New Jersey, doing Remember When. Come and see it. That's November 26th, the Stress Factory. Go to JoeMatteries.com for tickets. Also, the 30th of December, I will be at Soul Joel's new place. It was in Royersford, PA. I forget the thing. I think it's called Petersville. PA now. If, if I'm wrong, go look it up. It's all on JoeMatteries.com, and you can buy tickets to it. It's called Home for the Holidays. I'm doing uh, some stand-up there on the 30th of December. And then I'm coming to Long Island in January. We have Governors and at McGuire's. Go check that out. I got a lot of stuff. It's coming in, baby. It's coming in. Come on, COVID. Don't fuck me again, alright? Let's stay safe. Let's stay good. Alright, everybody? You guys have a great uh, rest of your days and uh, take it easy. Thanks, world. See ya. Little Brian Christopher there for my podcast. Thank you, Brian Christopher, again for this theme. I'm loving it.